This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listening land, welcome back. This is episode 49 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back after a few weeks off. Well, maybe not a few weeks, a couple weeks off, but we got a great show for you today. We've actually got Joe back. We've got a best of masters. We were going to do market recap, but uh, the numbers aren't out yet this month. So we figured, you know what, let's jump in and do a best of masters. We haven't done it for a while. So, hey guys, welcome back. Hey Joe, welcome to the show. Hey everybody. Exciting to have you here. Before we get started, Joe, I got to give you a hard time on... Your caption this campaign, I think, is that like a September thing you've got going on? No, you know, I like to break it up a little bit. Everybody who knows me knows that I uh, like to have fun and I don't take life too seriously. And, you know, in this world, we are plagued with all the politics on the news. We talk about heavy stuff and real estate all the time. And people are really, really funny deep down. And I just kind of wanted to bring it out. If for a moment each morning, the month of September, they uh, chime in with their caption, it starts everyone throughout the day with a great big smile. And it's the one page you can go to during this short contest that you can get a chuckle and, and let your wit shine through. Where are you finding those photos? Is, it, oh, is I, there a go-to site or do you just kind of have a process of... Actually, it's it's not easy to find the photos. I, I would <laughs> Google different things such yeah. as, you know, Darwin Awards. Uh, uh, I Googled, uh. you know, redneck photos. I, you know, crazy photos, caption this photos. And uh, I just got a few of them, stuck them in a folder. And each morning I wake up and stick one on the page. Yeah, the, no, it's aren't the Darwin it, Awards uh, like dumbass of the year award? Isn't that essentially what it it's, is? It's uh, people that are so dumb they do things that they end up killing themselves <laughs> by, you know, bringing an electrical cord into their swimming pool because they want to, you know, listen to the radio or or something. Putting, Speaking of that, did you hear about that guy yesterday? I think it was in one of the Carolinas. He had a. Uh, <laughs> a flak jacket on and he told his cousin to shoot him to see if it would stop the bullet and it didn't and it ended up killing him so um oh my sad story but i'm sure that might make the awards for, yeah for this oh my gosh. yeah so so don't caption joe, that one but <laughs> too soon too soon too soon so joe i gotta give you a hard time because no first of all you're the right guy to do it i mean you have a, a gazillion facebook friends everybody in masters is, is your facebook friend and uh it is different than Masters. I, I think we should probably mention that. You're not posting those on, per se, the Masters group. So those of you that are chiming in to, or tuning in to hear the best of Masters and, and all you're looking at is Masters, you're not going to find them there. You're going to find them on Joe's Facebook page. But just about across the board, everybody in Masters is Joe's friend. And so a lot of the same people are, are commenting on these. But no, it's, it's been very interesting. It's been very funny. I have to give you a hard time, though, because you are robbing me of about an hour a day. And because what will happen is I'll, I'll see that darn photo, and I, and I cannot think of anything else until I come up with what I'm going to put on it. And trust me, it's, there's been, there's been some, some conversations where people are like, where are you right now? Or what are you, what are you doing? Because like, I'm just mentally checked out. I'm zoning in on that silly little photo. And 
I'm expressing excitement for October 1st when your campaign is over. But and I'm, I'm mostly kidding, obviously. But the other thing it does for me is it kind of gets you looking at the world in a different way because then you start going to other sites that aren't necessarily or other places or you see things or pictures that aren't necessarily a caption this campaign. But you're like, hey, I, you know, that's a funny looking photo. I, I bet somebody was thinking this or, or you start captioning photos that maybe are truly sad or news in, in, incidents, kind of like Tucker just brought up with with that <laughs> horrific experience. So that example. But yes. <laughs> but it's uh yeah so i am enjoying it though so keep going joe I'm, i well, just thought uh, it'd be off time I'd, I'd speak for the rest of us out there when this when this contest ends i've thought of a couple other things we did uh face in a hole before and it was just uh four times a month on friday you know you go to the county fair and they have like the farmer and the farmer's wife and they have the hole cut out and then you go behind it and you stick your face in it and then you get your picture taken so face in a hole is uh that very same thing but now there's apps so you can put your face on movie stars or anything you want so i did that in years past and people loved it and that was only a every friday thing for a month and then there's another one we're going to do which is a Where's Joe, kind of like a Where's Waldo, but it's me <laughs> taking a picture, and then whatever you see in the background, you get to say, you know, Where's Joe? Oh, that's, uh, I recognize that. Joe's in, you know, Hood River. You're at the Hood River Double Mountain, or, or hey, you're at Cannon Beach. So I'm I sensing like, more time pretty of cool. Steve's day getting wasted with all these campaigns. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My goal is to get you so busy with my Facebook page that I'm out selling real estate and you're thinking of where I am or <laughs> captions. <laughs> Damn you, Joe. Damn you. Yeah, that reminds me. The Blazers do that. Have you seen that on all the Blazer games where, where in the world? And then somebody's there in a Blazer jersey and, 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 uh, and they usually tell you where they are or something. But cool. Yeah. I, like, I like the creativity you exhibit with your Facebook page. And and even before the caption this campaign, you were always putting out mostly inspirational and actually about half inspirational, half funny, which is a yeah. good combination of quotes and pictures and just just randomness. It's almost like a, your full time job just to run your Facebook. So <laughs> congratulations with that. Yeah, well, you know, it, it takes a couple minutes to figure out a picture. I post it and then I'm out. I'm I'm at meetings. I'm doing my stuff during the day. It really takes very little time, and then I come home and I have 50 treats on my wall of funny things that all you guys have written. So it's uh, it's kind of my reward at the end of the day to see how funny you guys truly are. <laughs> I like to set up, though. Yeah, takes a village. Cool. Well, should we roll into some stuff? Let's talk. Let's talk real estate, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So we got some great topics this week, but before. We go into some stuff that actually made it to Masters. I intended to post this about a week ago, but just uh, things got busy and whatnot, so I didn't. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to bring it up here with you guys, kind of an impromptu subject. We haven't talked about it yet, so I'm interested in your guys' take. I think I mentioned to you last time we had a show, Steve, I had a couple listings that I was going to take live in Southeast. They were both kind of uh, quasi-fixer-type listings, right? So not 100% retail-ready houses. You know, they're, They needed some work. Some needed more work than others. But we ended up selling both of them in about 24 hours, which was good. But we noticed something that happened a lot, and it seemed to happen over and over again. And that was that agents were writing offers that were trying to buy our attention, we'll say. But they never actually went to the property. 
And the only reason I discovered this is because when I started looking through the offers and some of these offers were some pretty squeaky wheels, I looked at the agent log, you know, because you got your RMLS thing on the door or whatever, wherever you put it, and you can check who's seen the property and started going through it. And a lot of these agents that were trying to buy our attention or were really squeaky in terms of, hey, did you get my offer? Hey, you're going to accept my offer. I noticed that they never went and saw the property. What's your guys' take on that? Maybe, uh, Steve, maybe start Did out. you guys ask them, Tucker? Because sometimes, like, sometimes offers will be written in my name, but it was a, or, or one of my buyer's agent's name, but we had a showing agent show it. Did you yeah, guys- there, the companies didn't. There was no same company. So we, okay. we thought about that. We thought, yeah, obviously, sometimes people have assistants or buyer's agents. So if it was PPG, right, somebody from, else from PPG might have shown it. So there wasn't a situation like that. It, there was nobody from that company that showed the house. Yeah. In that situation, I, I think I would always ask. I mean, first of all, I wouldn't waste my time asking if if they weren't in the running as a go to offer. I mean, obviously. So in other words, if you've got five offers and your your better two did go to the house, clearly, then I wouldn't waste my breath on the other three. Well, I'm talking about that- it. I agree with you there. But uh, in terms of what's your feeling being the agent that potentially does that? OK, and then I will, I'll go back to it from that standpoint. So. Well, first of all, I wouldn't do it. I, I mean, I, I think it's ridiculous. So I wouldn't be on that end. If I was on the listing agent side of things and I was you know, playing defense for my seller, I would, if it's in the running or it's one of the, the leading offers, I would definitely ask the question just to make sure I wasn't missing something or maybe, you know, you could have a one-off situation. Maybe their buyer went with a different agent, but then they hated that agent and they called up, you know, their friend or their cousin who, who they remembered as a realtor. So, so I'd want to make sure that wasn't the case. So I'd say, look, I didn't see you in the uh, lockbox notes. Did you guys actually make it to the property? Now, if they said, no, we didn't, I, I've got all, especially if it's a competitive situation, you're, you're out. I mean, we're not going to take that risk with you guys. I'd, I'd be asking some questions. I'd be saying, when can you get, at, le- at the very least, when can you get to the property? I just, I can't imagine that you would have that, that that is a solid, solid offer with high probability of closing if they haven't physically stepped foot in the property. I will say, Tucker, we have sold houses on both ends, both as our listing and we represent the buyer, where the buyer hadn't been to the property but we had FaceTimed it to them. We, they were in California. We went to the house. And we used an iPad or iPhone or both on one on each end to do a very comprehensive walkthrough of the property and in a very active manner. And, and that can be very, very successful. So we have sold properties where the buyer didn't go there, but to have nobody go there is very, is very risky and, and not something I'm a proponent of. Yeah. I mean, it happened a lot back in the day when the, you know, what do you the think, of REOs was on the market, but I'm curious what Joe thinks. Well, you, you have to ask. So with our current SentryLock system, you have the app, the RAD, the card. If someone went with the card and then didn't sync it the next day or didn't show another property, if they show another property, it'll automatically sync. But if they only show your property and then don't sync it, it they may not register. So you need to ask to make sure that they were there. I've sold lots of properties where the buyer hasn't seen it. I've sold lots of properties where the buyers ran to an open house and they said, we love it, we want to buy it, and I haven't seen it. But a listing agent, you have to ask to find out what's going on. I always ask, did you see it? Did your buyers see it? It's very relevant. It's very direct. 
and hey, you know, if uh, if somebody showed the property and this realtor goes to the property and shows his people and just kind of piggybacks on that showing and they didn't program their card because the door was open, they just kind of phantomly went in and went out. I mean, I guess they're sort of penalized for not doing it right. If I'm there when other people are there and they say, come on in, we'll treat it like an open house, let's all run through it, I will take a moment to register myself in the lockbox so the listing agent knows I was there. Even though the lockbox is open and the key's out, I'll do that anyway because I want record that I was there. So when I'm considering offers, those are two questions I ask. Did you or someone on your team physically show it and see it? Have your buyers physically seen it? And hey, I've sold lots of property to Californians, and of course they can't fly here every day to go look at property, but they have trust in me to find them the right place. And you know, if if the offer is solid and it stands on good ground, I mean, I will accept those or recommend my sellers accept those offers if the buyer hasn't seen it, but everything else checks out. But you got to ask those two important questions. Yeah, I agree about the question asking. I I just, uh, given the fact that they haven't, I guess, because we concluded that they didn't in this case a number of times, you know, we, we felt we picked the right offer because we closed, I think one of them in like six days later, it was a right choice. It was for an offer that was slightly less, but sometimes money's not everything, right? When it comes to actually getting something done, especially when you're dealing with kind of wholesale real estate. But um, yeah, I just felt it was bad business. You know, back in the day, Steve, you might remember, Joe, you probably do too, when the REOs were all over the market, there was a lot of investors writing offers on all those, but the REO agents sucked so bad and didn't really care that it didn't matter. You know, it was just about, did the bank, does the bank say yes or no? And then you get in your inspection period and you play the game of, you know, well, this needs to be fixed or that doesn't or whatever. And nobody seemed to care then because it was just all about numbers and there was no emotion and, you know, REO agents never picked up their phone anyway. So it really didn't matter. But nowadays, I just think that there's people out there doing that same type of tactic when you're dealing with private sellers and not necessarily the world of REO, short sales, things like that. Yep. 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 So that's my two cents. But uh, why don't we roll into the next topic, Steve? What, uh, what do we got here that we want to talk about? Yeah. So this one was posted by Doug. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name out of respect for Doug. <laughs> but um, it was posted nine hours ago, actually. Is what I see here. So my clients made an incredibly strong full-priced offer with 50% down, 3% earnest money, 7 days inspection, and 30-day close. Escalation addendum to go up to 50000 higher than other competing offers. The seller ignored the offer because they want more than list price, and ours was the only offer. Six days on the market. They didn't counter, and listing agent is not returning my calls or emails. WTF. Exclamation point. What does WTF stand for, Steve? Um, <laughs> Thursday, Friday. Aren't, they a, yeah, aren't they a title company here in Portland? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Joe, what's your thought on that? Well, so it's, it's bad behavior on uh, the listing agent and the seller. You know, you, you read in the rules that if you bring a full price offer, whether the seller accepts it or not, you could be entitled to a commission. However, I don't think that necessarily holds up. For example, you have a house for 500000 I bring you a $500,000 offer, but 
I write it as a seller carried contract, and the terms are we give you a dollar a month for 500,000 months, right? Even though it's full price, it's completely unacceptable. So I don't really think that if you come in with a full price offer, you're entitled to commission anyway. I guess my question goes more to this listing agent and the seller. I mean, what are they trying to accomplish? And did they want a, a bid war and there there were no other offers and they do get a solid full price offer? It seems like if all the terms were in place and the buyer's credibility and, and credit was in place, it should be acceptable. I think this market, the good and the bad is everybody's doing great, but there's a lot of greedy sellers out there. And I would hate to be the listing agent on this. And I think that seller could be torpedoing their success if they're sitting back saying, well, we're offering it at this listing price, but really that's not the obtainable price. The real obtainable price is listing price plus X amount of dollars. So I don't agree with that theory. And I think this Doug guy has a legitimate gripe. Joe, let me ask you a silly question. Do you think Doug shot himself in the foot by doing that escalation clause 50,000 over ask in a non-compete situation? I mean, wouldn't that plant a seed in the seller's mind? Oh my gosh, these guys are willing to pay me so much more, but there's no one else around. So why don't I stick around and wait until there is? Well, with any offers, it's all about communication. I'm a one-trick pony. I have one mantra, and that is communication. People need to communicate. Years and years ago, I wrote an escalation clause, which was clearly the better offer, and we didn't win because that other broker didn't understand escalation clauses. So I found that out kind of after the fact. Now I ask, are there any other offers, and do you want highest and best? Or would you like an escalation clause? And do you understand escalation clauses? I say that in a non-condescending way, but the escalation clauses I write are escalating legitimate arm's length offers, you know, not some, this is my brother that wrote an offer just to get an offer on the table. So legitimate arm's length offers based on the seller's net proceeds. So if my offer is... 500000 with an escalation clause, and somebody else has an offer of 506000 but they want $6,000 of closing costs. Really, they're the same offer. It's a net five hundred to both. I don't want them to counter me the amount of my escalation clause above the five oh six because that's not a real number. So I explain that to people and and most people these days say, you know what, give me highest and best because every escalation only gets accepted on a counter basis. So after it's presented, the seller has to counter your people to exercise the escalation. And then your people have the last say, whether they choose to take it or say, ah, no, that's too much money. Forget it. So most of the people want highest and best. In this scenario, I think communication should have been better. Evidently, this listing agent is non-responsive, and I don't know that there was much Doug could have done if this guy isn't answering the phone, and he's just trying to do the best for his people. I think that could be a factor, though, why these people are thinking, gosh, 
here's a guy that says he'll go 50 grand higher. Maybe <laughs> we're not asking enough. Yeah, I mean, and 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 you're you're right. We don't know that that backstory. In a perfect world, you don't bust out your escalation clause until you know there's another offer, and there clearly wasn't. So, I tend to prefer to have great communication with them. And and again, takes two to communicate, right? So if you, you're you not getting it back, then sometimes you just got to throw something like this out there and, and acknowledge that we're trying to put our best foot forward. But in a perfect world, he would have said, hey, here's an offer. Maybe it's full price. Maybe it's a little over. Let me know, please, if you get another offer so we can adjust course appropriately. And then maybe you, you bust out an escalation clause it's a big escalation clause. And so I kind of get why, man, if, if I'm the seller and I'm not, you know, I'm not savvy. This is, you know, how often do I sell a house here? I get this offer and it's basically this carrot of, I think down on the lower in the thread, he said the price was 550. So the escalation took it up to 600. Yeah. So, I mean, that's 10% over your list price. There's a part of me that might start to get a little pissy with my agent. Like, whoa, did we underprice this? Why is this guy willing to pay 50 grand over? Yet, I, it's a carrot out there, but I can't get it in this current situation. So it is kind of a weird dynamic that was created. So I think that was part of the problem. That said, I mean, there are other elements of unprofessionalism here. I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one when I look at it from the seller standpoint in that regards, though. I'm not saying they're 100% justified, but I kind of get their mindset of going, whoa, 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 this this house is worth more. I just underpriced it, and I don't have the right number of buyers here to get me what I, I want to get. Or, And by the way, every seller wants to get the most possible. I love it when I go to a listing appointment. I just had two on this last weekend. Well, here's the thing. We want to get as much as possible. And they have they always have a unique story about why they want to get the most as possible. But <laughs> but they somehow feel like they're 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 the one client that that's their their mindset in a unique fashion. So yeah. Anyways, that's kind of my take on it. What do you think, Tucker? You know, I think you're right. There are some elements of unprofessionalism here. You know, obviously if somebody's reaching out to you as a listing agent, you have to communicate with them, right? You can't just go radio silence on people, especially if they're your only offer. The other thing is six days on the market. To me, the market spoke. If you're going to get over list, you'll have it in six days. Yeah. Um, you know, that to me, you know, we've had that same experience. And I've been in the position where I felt like we were going to get bid over list. Market spoke. We didn't. And so, you know, you have to respect what the market says. You know, you can want whatever the hell you want to want. But if the market doesn't give it to you, the market doesn't give it to you. And I think six days, unless it's incredibly difficult to see the house and you've got people trying to schedule appointments, but sellers have dogs and kids and things and they can't get people in or whatever. But if it's open season to go see the house and you don't have an above list offer in six days, chances are you ain't getting an above list offer. You might get list, but that's your best case scenario, I think, at that point. I mean, unless the, the seize part and something you know amazing happens, but more than likely list is your best case scenario. So I think it's about setting expectations too. I think that, you know, we've talked about this a lot, Steve, you know, the market it's been about the same since after July 4th, I think. I think after July 4th, it slowed down a little bit. And it's been about the same since then. And I think people are still thinking that they put their house on the market, regardless of the house, the area, whatever. The market's hot. They should be able to get more money. Uh, you know, you have to adjust expectations a little bit. 
I do think that this guy probably pulled out the 50K override button a little too fast. You know, you can call the listing agent and say, do you have another offer? Most of the times they'll feed you some BS like, well, I'm talking to some people and this and that. But read through the lines, people. You know, if, if you don't have it in hand, you don't need to write a 50K over potentially escalation clause. You know, maybe five will do, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, even a, even a slightly smaller one. Because he's mad that they didn't counter. Well, what are they going to counter? 50K back? I mean, I, I bet you they'll counter that. I bet if he calls and leaves a message going, hey, counter us at 600, 50,000 over, I'm pretty sure he's going to get that counter. But if he had done a you know, $10,000 over escalation clause, maybe, they'd, maybe there'd be dialogue like, hey, you know what? I, you have this escalation clause. My seller wants to leave it on the market to see if we get other interest. But if you're willing to do that, a clean 10,000 over, I think we have a deal. He might have figured that out. I will say, I mean, there's a whole other dialogue here going on, and, and it's can sellers reject an offer that's full price? And, and Joe touched on this. I had a listing appointment a couple of weeks ago where the seller asked me that point blank. They said, hey, well, you know, because I, I was telling them this is what your house comps at. And by the way, I didn't get really – I didn't get the listing, and I'm not sure that I wanted it because they, they just had some misaligned expectations on the market and particularly their house and, and how it compares to the ones around it. But – but he it was a question he asked me point blank. Well, if, if we put it on the market at X and we get one offer at X, do I have to accept it? And I, I said, you know, and, and that is kind of a tough question. I think I'm with Joe. It's really, it's really hard to force a seller to accept an offer. I mean, even if the price is a term they want, who's to say the other terms are to their liking? So, you know, it's in the rules of real estate law that that you technically owe a commission. The seller owes a commission if, if a ready, willing, and able buyer's brought it a certain price. I believe that's how those rules are written. But there's so many other there's so many other nuances to an offer that I I, I have yet to ever hear of a, a situation where that was enforced. Have you, Joe? No, and in theory, it doesn't make sense. I mean, if that held up, I personally would write full price offers on all of these listings with my terms. And if they accept it, then I'll get a smoking house with my crazy terms that I imposed. If not, I get a commission for doing nothing. So yeah. Yeah. terms are very, very relevant. And I mean, like that example of, hey, I'm going to give you full price on a contract. I want you to carry it, no interest. And I'm going to give you a dollar a month until it's paid off. I mean, that will not hold up in court, and I don't care if it is <laughs> full price or not. So I don't know why that's even in the rules, and maybe I need to kind of read the rules closer to see the verbiage if it says something like any reasonable, qualified person giving full price and, and everything else. I don't know how that reads exactly, but I can't see it holding up. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. So. So technically, I guess the answer, the long and short answer is that sellers don't have to accept a full price offer, and nor do they have to counter for that reason. They can just go, nope, reject it. You put 45 day. I mean, they don't even have to do, tell you the reason why. That said, I think this is an argument, too, for not underpricing houses intentionally. I think as agents, I think it's it's prudent that, you know, I get the concept. I get the concept of, oh, we want a bidding war. We want, you know, I, the more offers, the better. I, there's a sweet spot there, people. That's what I always talk with sellers about. Is I, we, I call it the sweet spot. Let's look. Go, let's go for that sweet spot price where we're clearly not overpriced, but you'll be happy with that amount. So we give ourselves a chance at a bidding war, which 
you know, every seller gets it. So blind demand states, there's one house and there's, if, if you have more buyers than the number of houses, you're, you're going to do the best for yourself. So you give yourself a chance of a bidding war by being priced well enough for that, yet you're not overpriced and not being overpriced. Yet you're also, if that one loan offer comes in at this amount, you're happy with that. So I think that's the prudent way to price a house. If you purposefully go in there underpriced and think, oh, th at this amount, seller, we're going to get a bidding war and that's going to be wonderful. You open yourself up to a situation like this and that's just really uncomfortable for all parties. So we should probably move on to the next one, guys, unless you have anything more on this one. No, nope. let's move on. I think we covered it really well. Cool. This one was posted by a member of my team, uh, Dana Emery. She asked, not sure if this has been posted before, but wondered how everyone feels about agents only requesting the page of the inspection report that are specific to the repairs being asked for. And this is uh, one of my primary listing agents. So, Joe, head into that one and tell us what you take is on that. Well, I've kind of come around full circle on this. Before, years ago, as a listing agent, I wouldn't necessarily want the inspection report. I don't want my sellers to be forced to disclose what is known to them if this deal didn't transpire. However, uh, some of the great attorneys in Masters, I think it was Richard Mario that says, hey, this inspection happened and you need to make every attempt as the listing agent to get your hands on it because you can't just stick your head in the sand and say, hey, I don't want it. I've sent the full report to a listing agent before and he sent me a message back and he said, I deleted the report just so you know. I do not have it. I did not open it. I'm Switzerland on this. It is not in my possession. And from that thread that I think Richard Mario talked about, he said, look, you're the listing agent. In the disclosures, it said, has there been a professional inspection within the last three years? You have to change the disclosures and say yes if that deal never you know, made it off the ground. You have to disclose it to everyone else, and you have to make every attempt to try and get the report. And as damaging as the report can be, in the past, I've also said, well, whatever you're asking, send me the relevant pages so we could read the report and we know how to attack it, either by repair or throwing money at it. But now I'm just like, send me the report. I mean, no one really gets in trouble for over-disclosure, right? So send the report, the condition of the home, it is what it is. You know, you can always get a second opinion. Not all inspectors are the sharpest tool in the shed, and maybe uh, someone magnified something that really isn't a problem. But I try and document everything, and I try and get everything in my possession. That's just the way I do it. And someone, uh, one of the the members posted a good point. You know, you have a an inspection, the deal crashes, and then you have a buyer come a, a week later. You have to change your disclosures. Yes, there was an inspection. And hey, here's page three and page 14. I mean, what do you do with that? How much knowledge is that, that you're giving them two pages of the report? So I always try and get the full report. A lot of times a selling agent won't send it to me or say, hey, that's property of the buyer. They paid for it. I got to get their permission. They don't want me to send it to you. I document that and move on. But if I can get my fingers on it, the whole thing, I, I think that's the right thing to do. Do you 
kind of stand back and ask for maybe a repair addendum first, just to see if there's legs to the deal and it's going to stick together, or there's a good chance it's going to stick together, or do you just ask for it immediately? Well, after the inspection, there's a lot of dialogue. I tell everybody on the other side of a transaction with me that you can't call me too much, although some people have proven that theory wrong. <laughs> uh, but I believe in great communication, and I usually know right after the inspection how it went. I know right after they get the report what it reads like. I kind of understand what the buyer's intent is going to be and what they mm -hmm. might be talking about. I don't ask for it really out of the gate, but if someone sends over a repair addendum saying fix this or throw money at it, you kind of need evidence that it was actually something to throw money at. But what if they come at you with like 20 things like, hey, it needs a new roof, needs a new sewer, needs this, and there's dry rot here. There's, and you just kind of like right out of the gate, you're just like, oh, there's no way this deal is going to stay together. And you know you have a tough seller who's never going to sign off on all those repairs. And, and, and it sounds like from the buying side, they're pretty adamant on it. Do you think it might be, I don't know. I mean, I, and this is kind of what I posted here. I think it's a case by case. I mean, I don't think you have a blanket rule here of exactly one size fits all of how you address this. Sometimes it feels like the buying side is so far off in their expectations that you feel like there's a high probability the deal is going to terminate. And given that, do you really want that report? I think it's, our duty to get it. I think if uh, it's sent to you and you delete it and say, I didn't look at it, I don't want it, you know, I'm sticking my head in the sand, I, I, I think that's irresponsible and I think you can still get crucified in court for it. And I fully believe in it is what it is. I mean, if there's some something structural or hazardous or lender-required, it's got to be fixed for whoever lives under that roof. And my personal opinion on repairs, I prefer, especially with how backed up contractors are and everybody else, if the house is financeable and these repairs, be it five grand or 10 grand or whatever, I like to handle it with money, knock money off the price or give a credit or call it, you know, closing costs paid for by the seller. I do it that way because you would have to wait three weeks for a contractor. You'd have to wait two weeks for the stuff to get fixed. You would have to have a reinspection, And then all the while you're delaying the appraiser if it's going through a bank. So it's like, we got a bunch of bids. This guy says it's four grand. This guy says five grand. This guy says six grand. Let's call it five grand. We're going to get it to you in a credit price reduction or whatever. You deal with it after closing. And then that makes the process far easier. And there's a couple of benefits for that for the buyer because the buyer gets to pick what's done, who does it, and when it's done. And hey, if there's an electrical problem and you call the electrician and you have money to fix that repair, while that electrician is there, you could say, oh, hey, I want you to plumb electricity out on my patio so I could put my smoker there. And hey, I want you to put in a strip outlet over here and I want you to do this and that with whoever you choose, whatever time you choose to have it done. So lots of benefits there for both sides. I did comment on this one a little bit, and I just said, it's, you know, it's a case by case. I, there's an inherent amount of liability in having their inspection report. And um, I don't know that I always automatically want to have that if I feel there's a high probability of a sale fail. But that said, 
you can sometimes get the pages that are relevant. I don't necessarily think that looks shady or suspicious because sometimes that's all other agents send to you. And, and how are they going to know that's what you requested or that's what was just simply sent over to you? Other times, I mean, there's plenty of times we ask for the entire inspection report. I know Richard Mario does strongly believe in that. And, and it is within our company that's promoted is to ask for the entire inspection report pretty much, you know, in general at, at various educational events that we have. So I think the, the ground is shifting under this one because I think if you ask people five years ago, I think nobody wanted the inspection reports on the selling side. And I think I'm hearing a lot more of it. So I think we're just in a transitionary phase of this belief and how this operates. One thing that was interesting, there was one comment that I somewhat disagreed with where somebody said, you know, it's really up to the seller to determine what they want to see. If anything, the buyer's not allowed to send over the report unless the seller asks for it. Well, I think strongly that this is one of those areas where 99.9% .9 of the sellers are going to rely on us. I don't think they're going to come up with strong opinions based on the few, you know, remote experiences they've had with real estate that they know exactly what to do here. So, and hence why this topic is so valuable in the masters and real estate group, because really, I think we're the gatekeepers of that decision. I think we we can give the seller both options, but they're going to ask us for the pros and cons of each, and we can skew that in any direction we want. So I think it's good for us as agents to really be familiar with this topic, pay attention to posts like this, you know, talk to your principal broker, and just I think it's I think it's an interesting topic for sure. On to the last one, guys. <laughs> This one was posted by Richard Mario. Seller must find replacement property contingency. We are familiar with the contingency that the buyer must sell their house in order to buy. We have experience and forms to deal with this. We are not familiar with the situation where the seller imposes a contingency that they need to find a new house. I now have seen several cases. This Richard Mario, for those who don't know this, is he's an attorney. He's a fantastic real estate attorney. He's actually an attorney that, that our company uses very regularly, where the seller just refuses to close because they discovered how hard it is to find replacement housing. I have more than once seen the contingency stated as something like, the sale is contingent on the seller finding suitable housing, in parentheses, replacement property, etc. This is totally inadequate. Conceptually, every contingency must have a drop-dead date and a consequence if the contingency is not met. What do you recommend brokers include? Hint, look at the buyer must sell contingency version of the forms. Joe, what do you think on this one? Uh, well, it's a classic uh, if this, then that scenario where sellers are, hey, I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy here. I like my place. If I could find the ideal home, I will move. But if I can't, I don't want to sell because we don't have to and I'm completely happy here. This expresses that cash is king or the ability to buy without selling your home is king because you don't have to have contingencies like this. I really hope that my sellers would be in a position to mentally say, I want to sell in all scenarios, even if that means moving twice, even if that means someone buys your house and you're in temporary housing for six months. It's this, I want to sell only if I can find the perfect home in a market that has the lowest inventory we've seen in our real estate careers. It is impossible or next to to find those properties. So having a contingency 
subject to seller finding a house, any house that they don't even have their eye on yet is a little kind of vague and out there. But hey, the seller is acting on their wishes and you as the listing agent have to kind of play by their rules. It's legal to the best of my knowledge. And who knows, maybe you have a buyer that says, hey, we want to buy this place. We're in temporary housing. We can hang out for three, four months and, you know, get out there, start shopping. Maybe you'll find that perfect house. And if you don't, we're going to continue looking for something the same, if not better. But there are buyers that will hang on to allow you to do what you need to do. They might even need the time and they might not want to close quickly. As a buyer, getting like three, four months could be a benefit to them. So I think it's just one dynamic in our market. Ideally, I don't like to see that. Being on the selling side of a transaction, it's just such a big question mark that's subject to them finding something that will make them happy that isn't currently out there. Well, that's kind of like in reverse if you're a listing agent accepting a contingent offer from a buyer on a house that you haven't been through, you haven't seen, you don't know if it's priced correctly, and it's not even on the market yet. So there's a lot of stuff happening, but I'm not a fan. I want people, if you're in, jump in with both feet. If not, wait until you can do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I've been on the buying side where this was forced upon us, and the buyers wanted it so bad that, that they accepted it. They countered with something like this. And, and yes, you have to have a drop-dead date, or otherwise you're just you're just strung along forever. I mean, and that's a terrible situation. There's comments and I, that I fully agree with. The buyer should never start spending money until that is removed. That's just That's just silly if they do. It can be really hard on a buyer emotionally to love this property, really have their heart set on it, and then the seller says, well, I got out of it, didn't find anything. So, you know, it's one of those things where if you're on the buy side, you just have to evaluate with your buyers. Is this is this something you're willing to do? And sometimes the answer will be yes. The, it's, you know, again, this is one of those decisions the buyer makes. And, and I think it's one of those decisions that it's safe to say the buyer truly does make it. I don't think we're, we're going to talk them into it or out of it. I think they they have enough you know information that they, they can deal with that. I'm not a fan of it. I think. I mean, I think it could get problematic. You could start to have domino effects in the wrong direction because <laughs> then that seller goes and finds a house who does the same thing to them, and then that seller goes and finds a house has does the same thing to them. So I think it, there was a lot of talk in this thread about starting a new form for it. I, I kind of personally cringe a little bit if that were to happen because I think it would start to encourage this tremendously. I think it's just... I think we're getting too, too far off the beaten path of what it is to sell your house. I mean, you, you got to be somewhat decisive. And if that requires, you know, m moving twice or just being purposeful in your process, we already have all the issues and the domino effects on the, on the, the buyer side. I don't know if we want to start dealing with those on the seller side, but it does happen. And it's an interesting, I have to say it. And it, it's one of the better threads in here as far as subject matter and, and, Good reminders if it is done, what absolutely needs to be addressed in it. And um, yeah, what do you think, Tucker? Well, I think I'll put a bookend on it since we're running along, but I will say I think Joe said it best. I think you got to manage expectations, but you're either all in or you're all out on selling your house. And uh, I think it's the listing agent's job to get that type of commitment from their client or don't be afraid to say, well, call me when you're all in. You know, I, I think that's probably the best way to handle it because otherwise, 
there's just a lot of frustration, a lot of agony, and just a lot of bad emotion that's going to happen in that transaction. At the end of the day, is that worth the money? It just depends on how broke you are, I guess. But, you know, I don't know. So Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely something I hope does not get legs and start becoming incredibly incredibly prevalent i think it you know i think it's a it's a product of this market and as this market hopefully you know cools at some point i think you'll see less of those yeah sure. i think that'll take care of itself as the market cools and it'll go away for sure so cool well i think we uh we talked about a lot of great topics this week and uh, had some good conversation so uh joe thanks for joining us again we appreciate it as always absolutely and uh steve we'll be back next week with episode 50 so we'll see Sounds you guys good. See we'll you guys see, then. See you guys next see you week. Guys. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.